Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. It's Tuesday, the 18th of January. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Asia Pacific markets are trading higher this morning. Tokyo is leading the way. The Nikkei is up about half a percent. Sydney is not far behind. Seoul is in the green as well. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. How's Tuesday looking, Ryan Huang? Tuesday is looking very busy and uh, I guess Uh. exciting for us. Yeah, I know. Lots of news to cover. Lots. Let's talk about this one. Two major financial scams, both affecting consumers. One here at home, the other is international. Received a lot of SMSs about this last night. The first is rooted in the traditional banking sector's embrace of mobile and internet banking. And the second scam lies in the realm of cryptocurrencies. The company is affected, OCBC and Crypto.com. So let's start with Crypto.com, which suspended withdrawals overnight following a host of suspicious transactions. Some users reportedly seeing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tokens disappear before their eyes. Crypto.com says that all funds are safe though. So what's the latest here? Yeah, I think uh, you and I have been doing the news for so long and from my recollection, I have not seen the word scam pop up so many times in such a short space. Yeah. So it re- it's really a reflection of what's going on out there right now. Yeah. And if you talk about what's happening with Crypto.com, you've got the exchange here suspending withdrawals after they had unauthorized activity detected. So one of the big stories that came out from this is around a tweet from Ben Baller. He's a podcast host and crypto influencer. So he's someone with a lot of followers and people will um, take his um, weight of his words quite seriously. And he said that some of his cryptocurrencies um, were stolen. Ether. Mm. And this um, was around $14,000 worth. And this is um, something that happened out of the blue, stolen out of nowhere. And this is something that's um, puzzling him. And I think this is one of the uh, many incidents that has now led to Crypto.com suspending its service to figure out what's going on before they can make sure it's secure. So the company Crypto.com has been in the news a lot lately. Not only does it have a name that is synonymous with the whole entire industry, just a couple of weeks ago, it paid 700 million US dollars, you remember, for the naming rights to splash Crypto.com across a sports stadium in Los Angeles. And, you know, what is that name going through now, really? All these suspicious transaction patterns, uh, users' accounts. Let's turn now to the phishing scam that's closer to home. It's affecting OCBC consumers. So scammers have cheated OCBC account holders of more than $8 million. OCBC has begun to make goodwill payments to scam victims and says its response to the crimes has fallen short of expectations. It's a pretty good article in the Business Times today entitled, When Scammers Can Empty Your Bank Accounts of $8.5 million in Minutes, Where is the Sense of Security? Remind us, Ryan, how did the scammers do it and what do you think this means for internet banking? Yeah, this is a, uh, I guess in a good way, a conversation has come out of it to look at what can be done better. So let's go back to how it all started and it comes through from um, a customer receiving an SMS. Um, So what happens is it's disguised as coming from a bank. So the sender impersonates a bank. So that SMS falls into the thread that you might already be having 
that conversation with your bank. So it's in that same thread and you might think it's from OCBC or DBS or whoever it is. Mm -hmm. So it will ask you to click on a link because something on uh, something wrong is going on with your account. So click on th- click on this link to fix it and figure out what's going on. And then that link will bring you to a website that of course will be fake but looks like a real thing. And then that's where you put in your access code, your password, and then that continues to just draw information from you to carry on all the scams. So effectively drawing away money from your account and We've heard how many sad stories of up to $250,000 from one incident and all in $8.5 million worth from over 470 um, customers um, Mm -hmm. affected. So this is um, still unfolding. And I think it's a very um, interesting conversation now about the balance between security and convenience, right? Because now there's a discussion going on, should banks now relook at some of their existing policies? Should they now be going back to the physical hardware tokens, for example, Mm. as one of the uh, more apparently secure measures. But at the same time, you have to think, right, um, if you still activate your hardware token, the physical one, and put it on a website that's fake, you will still fall victim to scams. So that is something to think about. It's not foolproof, whatever it is. So it's going to be requiring a holistic approach and you also have to look at how banks are approaching security right um, they to some extent should have seen this coming and if you think about it right you've had many conversations with bank um, um, personnel calling you uh, and before they start a converse- conversation they ask you what's your name what's your IC number what's your address no it's got one way information street where you are just giving out information to someone on the phone assuming that person is from the bank mm. so the thinking here is the bank should be also giving you a bit of a password handshake, right? Give yeah. you a password that you've give, given them mm-hmm. or give you information that you knew. And this is an idea on online banking. So when you set up an account, uh, you would select a picture that only you know and the bank know, a series or one from a collection of photographs. Sure. So when you go to an online banking account, you will see that photo. And that's the one you picked many years ago when you set up an account that the hackers would not likely know. So that's one way to wow. think about security as well. So That's a lot um, of friction there, you know, mm. when it comes to banking. And the whole idea was frictionless banking. But I wonder if this also means if the SMSs and the phones are the weak link here, you know, are we going to see less of those push notifications? Was You know, I get so many push notifications from my banks informing me of this promotion or that promotion. And if I click that link, so we've been so conditioned to, you know, accepting these legitimate push notifications, uh, conditioning us to do certain things in line with our accounts, I wonder if there are going to be limits set on those as well. Now, in the wake of the banking scam, some 800 people have submitted a petition to the Infocom Media Development Authority calling for action. Now, what do they want the IMDA to do? Yeah, have you heard of someone called Captain Sinky? Not yet. So he is, or he, she, he or she is the person behind this online petition on change.org. So... Captain Sinky leading the charge, oh. calling for the IMDA to look at this measure, effectively enforcing a requirement for anyone who wants to send an SMS to anyone under a username to be registered. For example, if you are 
OCBC Bank or you want to use the word OCBC and send it as an SMS, you need to be registered and you might have seen some of these SMSs calling you to visit this betting website or to borrow money and they come with usernames. So those sort of things are you know, something that maybe should be looked at more closely and this is actually something that is already being done in some countries and Singapore maybe should be taking a closer look to see if this is... Um, a good way to step up security requiring anyone who wants to send uh, SMS with a username to be registered because this was one of the problems. People were impersonating OCBC's name to just drop their SMS in the conversation. So mandate the pre-registration so SMSs cannot impersonate sender IDs of uh, banks, for example, that we're very familiar with. We'll keep an eye out to see what actions are taken. In the world of crypto, though, the Singapore government is already taking more steps to shield retail investors. It is making it harder for crypto platforms to reach out to the retail investor. Run us through how it's doing this. Okay, so this is I say I guess uh, something that's been coming right. We've been seeing a bit of a tightening of uh, measures around retail trading for crypto, and this is the latest where we are now seeing crypto firms being asked not to market their products or services to the general public. And you might have seen some of these advertisements on the streets, on the trains, on billboards, on Orchard Road. Um, one of the big ones, of course, from Crypto.com, we talked about them. One of the big billboards was outside Orchard Towers and their tagline was, Fortune favours the brave. You know, all these flashy advertisements um, just asking you to go on crypto. And it is very attractive when you think about how these apps make it so easy for you to trade markets or to speculate. And that is, I think, one of the dangers that the um, MES is starting to recognize that maybe it needs a closer look and uh, just needs to be a bit more um, regulated in that sense where they are now telling these digital payment token providers to start toning down their messaging to the retail public. So something um, that will maybe go some way to curbing the excessive risk-taking that might take place if this was just left unattended. Um, All right. So it's got a balance protecting the retail investor with nurturing uh, innovation in the financial sphere. Singapore not alone in taking this step when it comes to advertising and making it harder for crypto platforms to reach the general public. Spain is clamping down on crypto advertising as well. Okay, let's move to India and IPOs. Last year was a hot year for Indian listings and 2022 is starting off in a similar vein. Investors there are currently preparing for the country's biggest ever IPO. It is so big that some analysts are calling it India's Aramco moment, saying that the impact of this IPO could be comparable to that of the oil giants listing in the Gulf. Tell us more. Who's the company in question and why are investors so excited about this? Yeah, so this is Life Insurance Corporation of India, or LIC. So we are looking at valuations as high as 203 billion dollars which will make it then the biggest ever stock offering uh, for india so everyone wants a piece of the pie and we think about how fintech and the financial space is just booming in india it's uh, pretty much no-brainer why it's attracting so much attention lic so in addition to the life 
Insurance Corporation of India investors are getting excited about another new listing as well. This one is a startup company in the hotel sector. It's called Oyo Hotels. Oyo was struggling during the pandemic, as you might expect, but that is not stopping it from pursuing a high-value IPO. So tell us more, how much is Oyo looking to raise? Okay, so we are looking at reports saying it is seeking to target $9 billion in valuation for its IPO. Um, some reports were putting it at $12 billion. So it's interesting how this has now emerged from how we've talked about how COVID-19 has been a challenging stretch of time for hotel providers, um, platforms like OU Hotels. And now they are looking at brighter days ahead and maybe the appetite will be there uh, for people to ride that rebound in the recovery, the easing of restrictions. So maybe the timing is right for this IPO. From India, let's move to the world economy or to be more specific, a major segment of the world economy, China. China's economic growth slowed in the fourth quarter of the year to just 4% from a year earlier. Now, while that is higher than expectations, it still has led Chinese officials to take a pretty unusual unusual step, unusual at least in the light of policies being pursued in the US and elsewhere, they've lowered interest rates. At a time when the Fed is expected to raise rates three or four times this year, China is loosening credit. Why, Ryan? Okay, so it's a factor of how things are just panning out differently in China. And you've got a couple of factors here. You've got one at the top of the list is the zero COVID strategy. And that means partial lockdowns in some cities. And that just curbs business activities, production, and so on and so forth. So it has a bit of a hit on the economy. And you also have the slump in the property sector. The clamp down Evergrande just can't... Um, have avoid having an impact on the rest of the adjacent sectors. So all the vendors, suppliers, the importers are being affected. So that also has a big knock-on impact with the property sector in China contributing about 25% to the economy there. So you have that plus supply chain issues as well. So all of that coming together to create a bit of a confluence of factors to create a slowdown in momentum. So China trying to cut its rates there to revive that momentum. So it's something they are trying to address. And the reports we have indicate we might see more rate cuts later on this year as well. So China's looser monetary policy, what impact might this have on the Chinese renminbi and by extension, the country's trade surplus with the US and other countries? So classic economic theory tells us that the renminbi should weaken and its exports should rise, but Chinese capital controls could hamper this. So what do you think? What are analysts saying? Uh, that's right. So the theory is you should be seeing the Chinese yuan weaken. So the big question is how much... Um, the Chinese authorities are willing to tolerate that weakness. So what happens is when the currency is weak, Chinese exports will be cheaper. So there's something to keep in mind. Maybe it might be a boost for Chinese exports. Um, also worth noting in terms of impact on trade, uh, one thing to note is how COVID-19 is panning out in the region. So right now, many places in Southeast Asia are curbing their production um, activities because of COVID-19. So there's a huge dependence right now on Chinese production. So when the Southeast Asian countries come back online in a uh, bigger fashion, we could see the Chinese um, exports starting to be offset as well with 
the Southeast Asian factories starting to pick up again. So something to keep in mind, you've got a few moving parts here. So it won't be clear if entirely the um, weaker yen will boost exports because you have still the rest of the region and the other economies playing a part in that equation. Another note about China. Yesterday on the show, we talked about the impending debt issues faced by China's biggest home builder, Country Garden. Its debt has been trading at around 69 cents on the dollar. We have news today that Country Garden has purchased back 10 million US dollars worth of its own bonds. The company has also reportedly dropped plans to raise new funds. Country Garden shares closed down 9% in Hong Kong yesterday. Now, elsewhere in Asia, today, the Bank of Japan is meeting. What can we expect to see in terms of rate hikes from Japan? Or will the BOJ really follow China's leads and perhaps keep rates where they are, Ryan? Yeah, we'll find out 11 a.m. So that is when you will see the decision and the expectations are for no changes where they are expected to leave the rate unchanged at a target of zero. 0.1% negative for short-term interest rates. But we are looking out for them to upgrade their inflation forecast. And this is going to be an acknowledgement of how things are panning out in terms of prices globally. Um, also, this could be a signal as well to how much longer they are willing to keep those rates low. Uh, so something to keep in mind as you know, global central banks are trying to normalize policy and this Outlook report will give a clearer idea of uh, how much longer they might be keeping rates low. All right, time to flip open our books and see whether things are up or down. You know how this is played. Are you ready, Ryan? Let's go. Uh, alcohol sales. Alcohol. I am going with down because in some places is a bit of a theme going on. Dry January, where people are just staying away from alcohol. And in fact, you've got a trend picking up right now people just turning to low alcohol beverages or beverages with no alcohol. So that is something I would go with down for alcohol sales because people are just looking out for other things to try. Okay, uh, I actually came across a different point of view. Alcohol sales in the US have actually jumped during the pandemic and the sale of non-alcoholic spirits has risen 600 as well. So apparently it's a real companion during lockdowns. Booze, uh, the sale of booze has rebounded to pre-pandemic levels, at least in the States. Let's look at diamond prices. All right, I am going with up. So not great news for... Couples out there who may be shopping for one for various reasons. Um, you have the beers pushing through one of their most aggressive price hikes in recent years. So we are looking at around 8% upwards for their first sale of the year. And this is something that will probably be passed on to retail customers. So something that's a reflection of how demand is bouncing back after COVID-19. Yeah, an aggressive price upgrade by De Beers, 8% in the face of strong demand. So Diamond may be a girl's best friend, but they sure are getting a lot more expensive, at least in 2022. Let's look at Singapore home sales. Singapore home sales for December. Those report numbers just out and they are down. We are looking at 58% down for December uh, compared to the previous month. So this is off the back, of course, the cooling measures yeah. that we just saw last month. Mm. Um, also, worth noting, 
it's a seasonal year-end lull where people are just away for various reasons, holidays, just not shopping out there. No, just that seasonal factor to take into account why there might be a drop. So we'll see if this comes back um, in the next report. No surprise there to see the government's cooling measures dampening Singapore home sales in December. But analysts say they could pick up again, though, later this year. And finally, a local company, ComfortDelGro. I would go with up for ComfortDelGro. And yeah. they are in the news for starting their real service in New Zealand. And mm-hmm. they are replacing the previous operator. So another revenue source online now for ComfortDelGro. So the first thing that comes to mind when I think of ComfortDelGro is taxis. But yes, ComfortDelGro has won a contract to operate rail services in New Zealand. It's branching out and I'd say that's an up. Let's turn to Singapore now. The SDI finished in the green for the eighth straight session yesterday, but not by much. The SDI rose six points to 32.87. But while the blue chip index was up, decliners outpaced advances on the broader market. So how's the SDI trading this morning, Ryan? Let's take a look and we are still in the green. So if it stays this way, it will be number nine. So we are up by 0.2%, And right now, based on that, it is pushing two and a half year highs. So that right now is um, off the back of for the past few days, the strong run in banks. So let's take a look at where we are right now for the banks. And you've got the likes of OCBC up 0.6%. And where we are for DBS up 0.2% at a record $36.07. You've got also in the mix UOB now giving back gains from recent days is now down 0.1%. So mixed picture for banks. And right at the top for STI for now, UOL in the green by 0.8%, followed by Venture, Wilma, Dairy Farm. And looking at the bottom of the table, Young Zhejiang Shipbuilding is down by 0.8%. And ComfortDelGro at the bottom as well, 0.7% lower. And a few stocks that might be worth watching. Uh, Straits Trading is down 0 or rather 6% right now at $3.20. And they are in the news. They just filed this morning to uh, raise proceeds of $80-plus million with a private placement. So perhaps shareholders pricing in some dilution there. Uh, Looking at what we have for Q&M Dental Group, they are down 0.8% at $0.63. And that's a day after gaining 4% on news that's unit Acumen Diagnostics was exploring a Nasdaq listing. So those stocks in action in the opening minutes. Thanks very much. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Coming up, I'll welcome Vijay Iyer, VP Corporate Development and Global Expansion at Luno. We've seen Bitcoin falling over the December months. Uh, should investors be digging in for a significant shift downwards? Or is that 100,000 mark by June that some analysts talk about. Is that at all achievable? We'll track Bitcoin's movements at 10.05. Join me then. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.